0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not going to be preaching from Romans this morning. We're taking a break from Romans. As they say Romans 8, everything's great. Romans 9, not so fine. You all know that saying, right? Right? Okay. Well, if you don't, now you do. Write that down on a post-it note. I'm going to be preaching this morning from Isaiah 55, and I need to give you a little bit of... uh, a catch-up to where we're at, because Isaiah 55 is a significant chapter. It's very important structurally in the book of Isaiah. So first we're going to do a little bit of a history rewind, and then we're going to do a bit of a book of Isaiah rewind, and then I'll actually get into it and make what I think is one point for you this morning. So history, the once united kingdom of Israel at this time had split Into the kingdom of the north, which kept the name Israel, 10 tribes of the 12 tribes, the kingdom of Israel. And then in the south, they became the kingdom of Judah. And there was two tribes down there. The northern kingdom, after repeated warnings to repent and return to God, they suffered God's promised judgment. When the Assyrians came, destroyed the people, destroyed their capital, raised everything to the ground and then took All those who were fit to be prisoners back to Assyria. These people who were led out of Egypt by God's power, right? With all the plagues, the miracles, and the staff of Moses parting the Red Sea, and the pillar of fire, and the pillar of cloud, and manna from heaven, and all of that. Into the promised land. Now God has a foreign nation come and rip them out of the promised land. Back into slavery. Now, Isaiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom, remember the kingdom of Judah, and he was calling his nation to repentance because he said, look to the north, look at what just happened to them. God did what he promised he would do if they didn't repent. We need to repent. So Isaiah's book contains some of the most striking, harsh warnings, but it also contains some of the most beautiful, sweet comfort. Comfort that begins with the people of Judah. This promise to restore Zion, but it also expands to fill all peoples across the earth. Remember that way that reading from Isaiah ends is that nations you do not know, peoples unknown to you will come running to Zion. So now within the book of Isaiah, our reading from this morning, Isaiah 55 comes at the end of a 15 chapter long chunk in Isaiah, 15 chapters of God's plan to restore his exiled people and make everything sad come untrue. Some of the most beautiful things in the book of Revelation, you might know that they will be sheltered. The, the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. They will neither you know, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no mourning nor death, nor crying, nor pain. All of these things that are so lovely from the book of Revelation about our promised future are quotes almost word for word, in large part from this section of Isaiah. And there are two servants mentioned in these chapters. There's servant Israel, right? The God's people who was supposed to be God's witnesses to the earth. They were supposed to be God's holy nation, his chosen people. Calling all people of the earth back to a right relationship with the creator God. But they failed because they were caught up in idolatry. They didn't want to worship Yahweh. They wanted to worship Yahweh and Baal or Ashtaroth or whatever else. But he promised to not just abandon them to total destruction. He said, I am going to rescue you. Even though you have betrayed me, even though you are faithless to me, I will be faithful to you. And how does he say he's going to do that? Through this person called the suffering servant. You know him as Jesus Christ. This suffering servant, if you, this, this might sound familiar. We read this every year on Good Friday. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, <laughs> acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away, We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Or a translation you might be more familiar with, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's God's plan for how to save his people, the suffering servant. So as we pull up to this morning's reading from Isaiah 55, right? What I just read to you was from Isaiah 53. We come up now to Isaiah 55, God has called out and condemned his people's unfaithfulness. He has promised that judgment is coming. He has then also promised that I will rescue you. I will not totally destroy you because of the promises I made to your ancestors. I've promised to be kind to my people. And how is he going to do that? By pouring out the wrath that they deserve on the suffering servant. And just immediately prior to our reading here, God explains the benefits of this. Isaiah 54 now. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will take you back. In a burst of anger I turned my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord. Isn't that great? Who says the Old Testament is dry and stuffy? Everlasting love. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry or punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. And thus the cry goes out to get this love of God for oneself. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does you no good? Listen to me and you'll eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. It's an invitation out of idolatry into the Lord's salvation, an invitation for the thirsty to drink freely, an invitation for the hungry to feast freely. This isn't something you can buy. This is something that's paid for already. In a civilization where fresh water was drawn from the earth with buckets twice a day, and the offer to come and drink freely is wildly generous. Remember, they had to dig wells way deeper than you would think, right? By hand, and then gather the water they needed in the morning and then in the end of the day as well. So, to offer water freely is a tremendous gesture of hospitality, but physical thirst isn't the only thing that's in view here. The Lord Jesus, the suffering servant, didn't bear our punishment just so that we wouldn't, you know, so that we could have full water bottles. Our souls are thirsty, and only the Holy Spirit poured out freely upon us can satisfy that thirst. Isaiah says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants, says the Lord, and my blessing on your children. I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. That's a picture of what God is doing to us spiritually. Like the rain from heaven waters the earth. God's salvation means the land's thirst is quenched. It means something for creation. It means in the kingdom of heaven... That no one will be thirsty anymore, ever, when the Lord Jesus returns. But most importantly, God pours out his spirit on us. And you can look all throughout the Bible, and God's blessing through water is everywhere. They will neither hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters. Once again, from Isaiah Forty-nine. How about this one? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the what? Still waters. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's call to drink freely when he issued that call himself. In John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast at the climax, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty... May come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. We believe that we still come to the waters, the living waters, to receive God's salvation, but not by physically drinking. Instead, we receive the promise of the Spirit poured out on us in the waters of baptism. These waters, Not the water alone. How can water do such things? The catechism says not the water alone, but this water united with God's command and promise works forgiveness of sins. It delivers from death and the devil and it gives eternal salvation to all who receive these things in faith. Titus chapter three says that God saved us. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit on us. There it is again. God pouring out the Spirit like water. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Salvation offered through water. Way back in the Old Testament. God bless you. Now, when it comes to salvation offered as bread. Come buy bread to eat. Come. Come. Get wine, bread and wine, salvation offered through bread and wine. Hmm. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? You might recall that Jesus famously fed thousands of people in miraculous fashion. On more than one occasion. He freely supplies this bread from our gospel reading to feed 5,000 men, which is really probably at least 15,000 people. If you consider one woman and one child, which I think is a pretty conservative estimate. And then he walks on water across the Sea of Galilee that night. The crowds wake up and they're like, where did he go? Where's our free lunch? And so they walk all the way around the shore and they find him. They're like, when did you get here? And Jesus says to them, why? Like you are obviously just following me because of that meal you had yesterday. Don't work so hard for food that just leaves you hungry again after it fills your belly for a little while. You need to be concerned with getting food that gives you eternal life. You need to eat the bread from heaven. How do we get this eternal life that the Son of Man can give? By eating his flesh, he says to them, and drinking his blood. In John chapter 6, Jesus says to them, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the true manna. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Almost like, you think that is heavy to understand. Well, wait till you hear this. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You cannot have eternal life within you. When Jesus said this, John, the evangelist, goes on to say, many people balked at following him further. like, no way. This guy is a certified weirdo. Now he's into, like, cannibalism and all kinds of stuff. He wants us to eat. This is, this is not okay. And uh, that, that meal we had yesterday was cool, but we're going to go back to reality now. And many left. But later... Jesus doubled down on this. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given, that's right, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life, the Lord Jesus says. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's salvation is accomplished. Isaiah 55 is this chapter that is, it's just an invitation. We're not talking about repent from your sin anymore. Although that's implied, right? Jesus paid for that. If you want freedom from sin if you want to serve the lord with a clear conscience if you want to love your neighbor if you want the lightness and the the freedom and the life even now if you want your eternal life to break back into the present moment how do you get that how do i get god's grace through the means that he established come to the waters come buy bread and wine without price we don't accept a ticket when you walk up here. There's nowhere to drop money on your, you know, on your way up or on your way back. This is paid for. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was condemned with the sentence that you deserved. He carried that cross up to that hill where he was crucified and Died your death. Don't go after food that isn't good for you. Don't go after status. Don't get lured into this. Don't build your life on being well thought of. Don't build your life on financial security. Don't work for the food that does you no good. Because just like physical food that we eat, all of those things feel good for a little while But one of the most fundamental realities of being a human, right, is that we are always thirsty again. We are always hungry again. There's only one way to satisfy the desires of your soul. And it's not in your achievements, although it's really cool to get, especially right during fair week, all those ribbons and the trips to the state fair. It's really cool to get promoted. It's really cool. Ian and I went and saw Cody Sievert the other night take first place in his event at the Night of Destruction. You should ask Cody about that next time you see him. It was awesome. You can't build your life on coming in first place. You can't build your life on being above 500. You can't build your life on having the perfect nuclear family situation. On being well-liked. You can't build your life on just being healthy. The love of God for us, everlasting kindness and compassion comes from the living water, from the bread and wine without price, from the preached word and from the word united to these things that we can touch and taste and see and feel. God has given these means of grace. Yes, you really can just come. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.